The scripture reading comes from the book of Luke, chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Now, as they went on their way, he entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him. She had a sister named Mary who sat at Jesus' feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. So she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. But few things are needed, indeed, only one. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. to God. Let's pray. Holy God, may we too learn to listen and lead for your word is the light to our path amen on rare occasions the preacher may say a sermon deserves one word and then close with silent meditation as that one word disrupts centuries of interpretation. Example, think of the Easter garden scene when Mary Magdalene comes with a task to do at an empty tomb that absolutely disrupted her. What one word stands out in your mind as you remember this Easter story, this scene? What one word comes to mind that opens up the glory of this scene. Your one word may be different than my one word. Mine is Mary. When Jesus speaks her name and by so doing, he is knowing her, seeing her, accepting her, and seeing her past, her present, and her future. One word. Mary. This idea appeals to me, this one word, a person's proper name, as a spiritual exercise, not a linguistic exercise. But the thought of putting your name, your chosen name, on Jesus' lips in that garden, or at any time, by calling out Mary's proper name, it seems that Jesus is allowing our name to also be spoken from his lips. At those times when we too weep, are frustrated, thoroughly confused, distracted, angry, or tranquil. One word. Now clearly I have offered to you the opportunity to consider just one word for a story that we are not going to further discuss today. 
which has also given you plenty of time to consider what one word would you apply to the reading from Greer, our reading from Luke 10. I would like to hear your one word. Those of you here tell me after the service, you know my email, send me a note. Those of you on Zoom, start chatting. I'm going to read the chats. What one word would you share? I heard a sermon in Fiji while we were attending the daily chapel that we did for seven years, the chapel service where the scripture was read by a new person. She read it carefully, poignantly, and then she said, the word of God for the people of God, now ponder in silence. She sat down, and I thought, I wonder how long she expects us to be silent in these beautiful Pacific Islands. 15 minutes. It was one of the best sermons I've ever heard because the, the text she read, I think out of Matthew, was so poignant that further discussion wasn't necessary. We could go through point by point and just sit there and listen for 15 minutes in our own mind, pondering scripture. No distractions, unless you do not like silence. Well, I happen to love silence, so that was not a distraction for me, but it was a distraction for others. Pondering just what was written. Now, as you have gathered, I am not going to do the same. Instead, I will share my thoughts with you on what one word I think interprets this text from Luke 10. And you can ponder your own word or ignore mine. It makes no difference because both are marvelous sermons, the one in your head and the one that I have prepared. Both are good. My one word for the story of Luke is both. I love Greer's reading of the text, giving Jesus a smile, maybe even a hint of a loving laugh. Martha, you seem a bit distracted, frustrating this morning. Whatever healing Martha may or may not have needed probably started when she heard her name on Jesus' lips. Jesus also says Mary's name. Two people doing two different things, necessary things, but different. Two people with different names, different personalities, different talents, and two people whose gifts are both essential. Both, a table of hospitality, a table of mercy, generosity, service, and a desk. Since we no longer sit at the feet of our tutors, as Mary was sitting at the feet of her tutor, Jesus, we now think of the desk as a learning place, a studying place, a thinking place, a place to communicate and listen. A table and a desk, both. It is tempting for me as a preacher to jump straight to John chapter 11 where we meet, as it says in verse one, Lazarus of Bethany, the village, Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. 
confession. My entire sermon was changed on Saturday after reading an article because I wanted to compare these sisters and two different stories with, particularly with Martha's voice, when she sent a note off to Jesus about the impending death of her brother, Lazarus, knowing perfectly well that Jesus, her Lord, could come and heal this person whom they both loved. And then Jesus postpones his journey, which we know Martha and Mary do not, but they figure that out when he's days late. When Jesus arrives at Bethany, both sisters go out to him. Martha leads the way, and I imagine her pounding with her fists against his chest, saying, I sent you a note telling you this was going to happen. Couldn't you have come earlier, like I asked nicely? I assume Martha was not being pious when she spoke to Jesus. And I assume Mary was not being pious when she said basically the same thing. If only you had been here. Now maybe Mary and Martha in John both knew well the voices of the Psalms, which give us permission to lament, to be angry, to be frustrated and to vocalize these, to tell God, not to treat God with kid gloves, but to say, I am mad. Now, if you think you are supposed to treat God with kid gloves and say, dear Lord, I hope you forgive my slight annoyance right now. Wipe that slate clean. God has heard it all. And the psalmists give us permission to be unafraid at burying our souls, including our anger and fury. The psalmist has given us permission to express our grief, our anger, our waiting, our listening, and our love, full slate. So as I said, I was tempted to do that, but I'm not going to do that, because the article that I read came through Diana Butler Bass. Her, her article was titled, Mary the Tower, but she was working entirely off of the work of a research student at Duke University in her PhD candidacy, talking about Mary Magdalene in a way that could conflate our Mary and Martha and Mary of Magdalena. The woman who is doing the study is Libby Schrader, I recommend you look her up on Google. You'll go straight to her uh, thesis and her work. You'll also see Diane Butler Bass's article. It's interesting. I'm not gonna go there, but it's brilliant reading. So reading this article, I had to bring it up with my very, very, very best friend and coach, my spouse, who took that article and said, yep, I get it. But let's work on something else. Where is Bethany and when is Jesus in the village of Bethany? In Luke chapter 10, Jesus has just turned his face toward Jerusalem. Nowhere near, he's still in the area of Galilee. He's still traveling to Jerusalem and it's huge when he knows he's going to Jerusalem and he probably knows what's coming next. Both, um, both Matthew, Mark and Luke all have Jesus traveling, healing, teaching, eating, 
on the way to Jerusalem. He's not there yet. This is not Bethany. This is not John 11. Okay, coming back to my one word for this passage, both. I recommend you think for a minute of how Mary and Martha both represent all that Jesus taught by word and deed. Jesus at table, this communion table, at meals with both friends and adversaries, as both host and guest, he tells stories, he listens, he changes lives. Jesus supped with these adversaries and friends, making no distinctions. He ate with both. He loved both. Jesus offered hospitality and rewrote social norms, which tweaked the frustration of some of his hosts. He said, scrap your invitations. Just invite people off of the street. Stop going to the highest social order of people to bless your table. Go to the uninvited. Do not sit in places of honor. Leave your honor outside. It doesn't need to come to the table where everyone is welcome. Do not claim status with God because it doesn't exist. You are beloved, all are beloved and belong, both. Let go of getting noticed, Jesus said to his hosts, who mostly didn't like that. And Jesus said, this is my body given for you, up there on the cross. Jesus served at table on the night that he was betrayed where we have our table, our communion, his self-offering as he served the crowds who sat at his feet and he sat at theirs on the hillsides and by the lakes where a couple of fish and loaves of bread were endless supplies of thousands of people. And at this meal, Jesus, after the meal that we celebrate, took a towel and started washing his disciples' feet. Does Jesus have any problem with those who prepare and serve? No, he loves both. Jesus served like Martha. Now the desk represents this place of learning, a place of devotion to God's stories in our life, our place of learning. Okay, what is the one we follow? What is our God like? Jesus took specific times of separation from his disciples, from the crowds. A wilderness to pray, a garden to pray, a mountaintop to pray, the plains where he prayed. He learned the scrolls, and if he hadn't, he would not have been able to stand up in his hometown synagogue and read from the scroll of Isaiah. Both desk and table both service and learning. With this in mind, what was that better part Mary is credited with doing? A word of caution, do not jump too quickly to favoring desk over table 
or table over desk. We need both. Maybe, thinking about it, the better part might have been the non-anxious following. Learning and serving minus the anxious frustration of everything going exactly as we had planned at these two places, both places. Maybe Jesus is inviting Martha into a different space, not over or against, different, both recognizing the place at the desk and the place here without blaming without saying you're different than me, so I'm going to blame you. Maybe release from blame is a better way. There are multiple sides of ministry highlighted by these two women. And I will close with words from author, theologian, Dorothy Sayers from 80 years ago. She writes, Perhaps it is no wonder that women were the first at the cradle and the last at the cross. They had never known a man like this man, Jesus, a prophet, a teacher who never nagged them, flattered or coaxed or patronized, who never made jokes about them, never treated them as the women, God help us who rebuked without querulous and praised without condescension, who took their questions and arguments seriously, who never mapped out their spear for them, never urged them to be feminine or, or cheered them for being female who had no ax to grind, no uneasy male dignity to defend who took them as he found them and was completely unself-conscious. There is no act, no sermon, no parable in the Gospels that burrows its pungency from female perversity. Nobody could possibly guess from the words and deeds of Jesus that there was anything funny about women. Mary and Martha could be Mel and Terry, Doug and George. It makes no difference because both are important at the table and at the desk. Jesus said only one thing is needed, both. Amen.